0: If you, like me, love walking around mid-century neighborhoods, taking stock of charming vintage houses and what people do to update them or ruin them with final siding, then you might be looking to expand your regular rotation of mid-century neighborhoods to enjoy. Today I'm talking about how to find mid-century neighborhoods in your town, or in the future as you travel again, how to find mid-century neighborhoods wherever you go. Let's discuss. Hey there! Welcome back to Mid-Mod Remodel. This is the show about updating MCM homes, helping you match a mid-century home to your modern life. I'm your host, Della Hansman, architect and mid-century ranch enthusiast. You're listening to Season 3, Episode 14. I don't know about you, but I have been in my house most of the time for a long time now. I already work from home, so I'm very familiar with the need to get out of the house on a daily basis to stretch my legs and to see something other than my own four walls. Fortunately, I have an active dog who never lets me forget that we need a walk. And I love taking these walks in a place where I can not only breathe fresh air through a mask, but also experience the charming mid-century neighborhood where I live and others around town for variety. I'm about to put mid-mod Remodel on a little summer hiatus while I focus on other work in the world of mid-century houses, but I don't want to leave you hanging. So in today's episode, I'm going to talk about how you can explore mid-century on your own. As always, you'll find show notes with links I reference and a handy summary of everything I'm about to say. Today, there's even an infographic on my website at midmod-midwest.com 314. So, if you're wondering how you can find a mid-century neighborhood or houses near you for fun and inspiration, this should set you on your way. The fact is, mid-century is hiding in plain sight all around us. It's draped in invisibility cloaks of beige paint or tucked into little developments you didn't know were there. But when you find them, you'll feel like you belong to a secret club. I often think about how much I love mid-century houses and dislike mid-century urban planning policy. MCM houses are right-sized, livable, and filled with charming details that make the most of simple, inexpensive materials. They are exuberant, even snazzy, while being accessible to people of moderate incomes, or at least they would have been had it not been for contemporary racist housing policies. Mid-century planning was a morass of racism and car culture that set out to break up mixed-use development and mixed-income neighborhoods and towns that had existed before the war. It meant bedroom communities and two-wide roads and cul-de-sacs that cut off anyone without a car from access to the wider world. I talk about this part of mid-century history a bit during the episode 10 of this season, which focused on Collier Heights. And while that particular place and time was arguably a success story, a gorgeous mid-century neighborhood created by and for Black families of Atlanta, it exists because there were powerful social moves afoot to control where and how people could live based on the color of their skin. If you want to continue your self-education in racial injustice during the mid-century era, I've linked to an article on the harmful effect of so-called urban renewal written a few years ago for Fast Company by Catherine Schwab in the show notes. Moving on, I also despise the car-oriented nature of mid-century development. As houses were built further from transportation, families started to require more than one car per household. Garages expanded, and so did traffic, making the world more unsafe for kids and more unpleasant for adults. It's one more reason for my love for early mid-century homes, like mine, a super-modest ranch built in 1952. Its first-wave status means it's relatively close to the center of the city, and was built in a wave of enthusiastic city-driven development that includes shops, schools, and parks all within walking distance. And my street is oriented in a walkable grid, with sidewalks that cut through the long blocks aligning with a kid's likely path to school." As I said a minute ago, later mid-century homes are more likely to be hidden away from your driving route. You may have been going past them for years on your daily errand runs or commute. Oh man, remember having errand runs? But you can still find them. Here are some easy ways to cut around that dumb mid-century planning and find the mid-century houses hidden in your town or wherever you plan to visit. The first one is to take a walk or a drive. The easiest way to find mid-century buildings around you is just to open your eyes. Because if you already live near or in a mid-century neighborhood, you can start by walking right out the door. The odds are the houses around you are as well. And if you know what year your home was built, you can time travel forwards through the optimistic fifties and exuberant sixties or backwards through modest late forties houses as you aim towards or away from the center of your town you can take a look at the internet. Use modern house hunting tech to help you find mid-century modern. Simply pop in the search terms mid-century or mid-mod when you look for recent listings on Zillow, Redfin, or Trulia. They're all great search engines. Zillow is the one I happen to obsess on during my own home search. Since the style is popular right now, you'll find that realtors are happy to attach the phrase mid-century to anything from modest to magnificent. You can also do what I did when I was house hunting, which is to use dates as part of your search terms. I was not going to buy anything built after 1965, so that deal-breaker was an element of every house search I ran. Once you look at the bigger map, you'll start to see where these houses are popping up. So when you find a house you like the looks of, head for that address, and then start to wander. You can also use Google to help you out. I do this when I'm traveling to a new area and I want to add a few ranch houses to my route. I harness the power of Google Maps, and with a little practice, you too can learn to spot a ranch neighborhood from the air. To start, I run a quick mental calculation of whether the town in question had major growth opportunities since the post-war. In manufacturing towns or smaller Midwestern cities surrounded by farmland, the mid-century ranch neighborhoods are sometimes the outer ring of development, whereas in Madison, there's a heavy ring of mid-century development surrounded by more rings of expanding 70s, 80s, contractor specials, McMansions, and going on into the current day. So I generally start by hunting out a mid-century elementary school. The mid-century building boom went hand in hand with baby boom. You saw these neighborhoods then fill up with kids who needed to go to school. So you can tell at a street view glance if the school you've found is from the mid-century era. When it is, you'll nearly always find a mid-century neighborhood around each one. If you're looking for ways to spot a ranch from the air, look for houses on medium-sized lots that are set towards the street with generous backyards. They may very well be on curving streets, cul-de-sacs strongly separated from major through routes. If they are on rectangular blocks, the blocks will be long and extended, not squares. There will almost always be attached garages, and they'll be oriented with their wide side facing the street. You can see the patterns of gables coming off the main roof angle. You should be looking for gables that are as wide, roughly the same width as the main house. Smaller gables are likely little dormer windows, and that shouts out craftsmen or other pre-1930s homes. Once you've found your first mid-century development, you'll find more nearby or about the same distance from the town center, so just follow the line around. A more labor-intensive but fun way to put this into practice is to use research to find mid-century neighborhoods with Photoshop and Google. That's how I made my map of mid-century Madison. So what I did was I went online and I went to the Historic Society website and searched for city maps ranging from the 1940s to the 1960s. I put them all into Photoshop as separate layers and scaled them so that they had roughly identical overlapping areas with a see-through transparency. Then I subtracted the area of the 1940s city from the edge of development in the 1960s. The result was a color overlay for a Google map that shows exactly where mid-century houses were built, between 1940 and 1960 in Madison. Madison has a consistent ring that goes entirely around the old city, full of mid-century ranches, cottages, offices, and public buildings. In general, just keep your eyes peeled. You'll find infill mid-century everywhere. For example, in Madison, there's a few mid-century houses tucked into University Heights. Especially in the 1950s, there was a time of urban growth and, quote, renewal, unquote, when cities knocked down a lot of older buildings and replaced them with modernist ones, which are now being knocked down and replaced with even new ones. Even in a downtown area or business district that was built well before the mid-century period, you'll find a few fun mid-century buildings here and there. Catch them while you can because they're going away fast. Let's see. If you live in Madison, I can give you a few jumping-off points for fun mid-century neighborhoods to start walking. I never really get tired of walking around Midfield Heights, and there's plenty to love here. But when I want to really feast my eyes on capital-A architecture, I cross over Mineral Point Road and into Sunset Hills, which is home to a bunch of architect-design houses in exuberantly mid-century style. This is easily combined with a stroll through Hoyt Park, which is a lovely wild area hidden right in the middle of Madison's west side. Across mid Boulevard is the Hill Farms University neighborhood. You won't be able to walk it in a single day because it encompasses a 600-acre parcel that used to be outside of town, the farm operated by UW-Madison. As the city expanded, the university realized they could develop it and use the money to buy more rural property. They teamed up with the city of Madison to plan a mixed-use development that was pretty extraordinary. Rather than simply turning it over to a developer for cash, the managing committee developed the area themselves, and they ambitiously planned it as a city within a city. Unlike most mid-century residential areas, which simply slotted in as much single-family housing as was allowed, with a few grudging allotments for parks and schools, this area was developed as a full community, with office parks, high-rise apartments, state government buildings, schools, churches, and a dedicated shopping center, Hilldale. The residential areas are generally ranches, but show off a range of architect-designed and contractor-designed spec homes. There are repeats in the plans, but no two neighboring lots were permitted to have identical houses on them. The parade of homes was organized in Hill Farms on four separate years. Further out the west side, there is the Crestwood neighborhood that was planned and owned cooperatively. It had smaller lots and a larger shared woodland park. There's a number of international style homes by Norman Condal and minimal ranches and prefab homes. 10% of the houses are Marshall Erdman designed U-format houses. Or if you go across the Beltline, you can check out the city's very first Parade of Homes site from 1942, arranged around Devolus Park. The houses are tiny and extremely modest. There's a little pamphlet that still exists about buying houses published with that Parade of Homes, and it sings the praises of the fine features of these houses, such as a bathroom with, and I quote, a modern-type vanity washstand with roomy drawers below and a large, handsome mirror above the basin. You don't hear a lot of homes being advertised today as having a mirror in the bathroom as one of their finer features, but, you know, we've come a long way. Um, a bit further afield to the southwest, there are the neighborhoods of Orchard Ridge, Meadowood, and Greentree. The 1956 and 61 Parade of home sites are in there, and there are a number of flat-roofed ranches and interesting split levels. I was actually just driving through the Meadow Ridge neighborhood last week, detouring on my way to drive groceries out to my parents' house because the post-storm lighting was so good. I will post pictures on Instagram soon. Admittedly, I default to the west side of Madison because I live here, but there's a lot of mid-century modern to love on the east side as well. In the earliest days of the post-war boom, there was a pretty clear distinction between the type of houses being built on the east and west sides. Today's west side of Madison used to be rolling farmland until the mid-century boom, and the home buyers expanding to the west were at first more college-educated and more affluent. They were vets moving back to town to study on the GI Bill, young professionals, university professors, and people finding employment with the growing state government. They preferred more modern ranch-style homes. On the east side of town, the glacially flattened land connected to regional train lines to Milwaukee and Chicago and made it an ideal home for burgeoning industry. So Madison's post-war housing boom there began with neighborhoods of modest Cape Cod houses created for working-class families. Those east side neighborhoods were intentionally developed with easy access in mind to jobs at Oscar Mayer, Rayovac, and other industrial employers. Today we call that kind of house minimal traditional. They were an extremely boiled down version of the colonial style, very little ornamentation, no roof home overhangs and the most simple interior finishes. Eakin Park is a perfect example of that style and history, and it was recently listed to the National Register of Historic Places for style, but also for the way it was constructed. While you'll see this type of house all across the country during the post-war boom, it's most famously associated with the East Coast Levittown developments, but ours came first. Eakin Park's Coolidge Street neighborhood, 40 houses, was built 40 at a time and was kicked off in 1942 by an Illinois developer by the name of John Tilton. Levitt didn't develop his community until 1947. That's not to say there aren't plenty of more jaunty modernist houses on the east side. For those, check out Mendota Hills and Brentwood Village for some great examples of high-style mid-century buildings. My baby sister is starting to think about buying a house. I'm so excited! And she's been looking at adorable, modest little ranches near the UW Clinic where she practices in the Sherman and Berkeley Oaks areas. I think those are also worth a look. Now this is by no means a comprehensive list, but I think it does give you an idea of how many interesting places there are around Madison to explore mid-century homes. That's not an accident. Madison is particularly well endowed with great mid-century houses. I live here because I was born here and because my family was based in the area. I really got lucky because it also happens to be a haven for mid-century development and buildings. I noticed this anecdotally at first when I moved back to town a few years ago, but being the giant nerd that I am, I did a little research into Madison's growth during the post-war boom years and compared it with other cities in the region. In 1940, the U.S. Census reports that Madison's population was 67,000. In 1950, it was 96,000, and in 1960, it was 128,000. It grew by 60,000 people and nearly doubled within just 20 years. If you compare that to nearby Milwaukee, which had 587,000 people before the war and 740,000 20 years later, it added twice as many people to its population, but the city only grew by 18% over the two decades. Chicago grew by just 5%. Those cities have mid-century development, sure, but it isn't as comprehensive or as influential as it is here in Madison. Looking at other small and mid-sized cities in Wisconsin during the same 20-year period, La Crosse grew by only 11%, Racine by 33 Green Bay by 36 Appleton was more affected. It added 70% to its population during those two decades, which makes me want to plan a trip there to appreciate Appleton someday. Oh, and to add to mid-century Madison's growth cachet, Middleton, which had only 1,300 people before the war, increased by nearly 300% by 1970. Likewise, Monona was almost exclusively constructed during the post-war decades, so add them to your area walking tours list. If you don't live in Madison, don't despair. The mid-century building boom came to nearly every town. Seriously, there is always a mid-century neighborhood, and you can easily find yours by using the tips I laid out at the start of the podcast. To recap, you can explore the area directly by walking out the door of your mid-century house. You can have a look at Zillow listings for houses built between 1945 and 1965. You can poke around with Google Maps to find mid-century-looking areas from above. And with a little Photoshop ingenuity and access to online map records, you can create an overlay that shows exactly where the postwar period happened in your town. Grab a mask and a camera and start exploring. Check out the show notes at midmod-midwest.com slash 314 to see the handy infographic I made when I blogged about this a few years ago and find references to everything else I've just mentioned. At the top of this episode, I said that this was going to be the last episode of the season. I'm going to take a little summer hiatus from creating podcasts. I love doing them, but they do take a lot of work. And at the moment, I have too much on deck for my dear design clients. By the way, if you're thinking about becoming one of them, take a number and get in line right now. If you're looking for more fun thoughts on mid-century design and how you can enjoy it, have you listened to every episode of Mid-Mod Remodel? You have? Hooray! Okay, maybe go check out the entire run of U.S. Modernist Radio. As you know from my interview with George Smart last week, it's a fun listen filled with great ideas, great history, and enthusiasm for modernist design. I also highly recommend Next Up Mid-Century Homes, the podcast of my friend TJ from Boise's Mid-Century Homes. You can find both of them wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't worry, I'll be back soon with another season of Mid-Mod Remodel, full of mid-century house-updating tips, design ideas, and, I think, some more interviews with other mid-century fans like ourselves. By the way, if you have listened to the whole of Mid-Mod Remodel so far, do me a huge favor and leave a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to make sure you find out the moment I'm back on air, metaphorically, in a few weeks. For now, Mid-Mod Remodelers, stay cool, have fun with your home, and wear a mask if you're going to go see other people.